Welcome to the Every Nation New Jersey podcast. Every Nation is a Bible-believing, multi-ethnic, non-denominational church hoping to transform the world one life at a time. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Hey, PA here, Pastor Adam Bird, and I'm so pumped that you would join us here at our Every Nation Church New Jersey channel. And listen, God's got a word for you this morning. And so I've just recently returned from Las Vegas. I was traveling uh, as the chaplain for the New York Jets. And um, so I feel like this is an appropriate opening illustration. And so uh, uh, I'm not sure how many of you have heard of Annie Duke. And so Annie Duke, as, as a young girl, she had a little bit of a, a, a dysfunctional uh, household she was growing up in. Her, her father was a, a professor at a university and very stoic man, and, and, but he would play cards with his uh, little girl, Annie, and, and they would play cards, but dad would never let her win, right? So he would always kind of like crush her in the card playing. And then uh, Annie's mother was a, a functioning alcoholic. And so she would sit at the kitchen table and Annie's mother would play solitaire with a, a bottle of booze and, and smoking cigarettes. And Annie would sit and watch her mom. And in a very odd way, it was a way that they bonded uh, together. And so uh, fast forward uh, years later, Annie is just crushing it in, uh, in her schooling. And she goes to uh, Columbia University and there goes on to get her uh, a postgraduate degree at, at the University of Penn. And, and uh, after that, she actually uh, gets her dream internship. It's the night before her first day of work and Annie has a nervous breakdown. Like her, her life just unravels and she doesn't know what's going on. She actually calls her brother, who get this, is a professional poker player and he's out in Vegas playing at a tournament. And so her brother says, hey, I'll fly you out to Vegas and you can spend a couple of weeks. I'll put you up in a hotel and, and then you can just kind of rest and, and see if you can kind of uh, get back to ground, uh, ground zero here. And, and so she flies out to Vegas and stays at a hotel and, and Annie says she kind of got bored uh, for a little bit. And so she went to, to a, a local casino and she sat at the car table and she says there sitting at that car table it felt like she she was home like there was a peace that came onto her soul and um, and so she started playing and she actually won and did quite good and and so her brother saw that she had a little bit of talent at, at playing cards so he started to coach her up and Annie started going into a tournaments and, and she started winning some tournaments which was amazing um, and so uh, fast forward to 2004 ESPN is going to televise the World Series of Poker and it's called the Tournament of Champions and they were going to get the top 10 poker players in the on the entire planet uh, to to play against one another in an elimination round. But ESPN had the idea, hey, let's get a woman poker player so we can, for our, our female viewers, right? And, and so Annie by no means was one of the top 10 players on the planet, but she could play cards. And so uh, they actually had Annie go on and get this. Her brother was in uh, the, the tournament as well. And so uh, here's what's so funny, like Annie's nervous. She knows she's like just out over the tips of her skis, like way over her head. And, and so she, she takes like too long in between hands and some of the other players are getting frustrated and they can see her insecurity. But as the tournament goes on, she, she, she's winning a few hands. Few people are getting knocked out until, get this, she's one of the final three uh, uh, players uh, in the poker tournament. And so one of the other players is actually her brother. Get this, she knocks her brother out of the tournament, leaving only two players. And it was little Annie Duke and uh, Phil Helmuth. 
Phil Hellemuth is known as the bad boy of poker. This man stands a hulking six foot five inches tall, like he's a mountain of a man, and he'll just have a hat down as far over his eyes as he can. He wears these dark sunglasses, and he peers across the table at his opponents. Uh, they, they said, man, he, it's like he stares through your soul. In fact, he got the nickname, the reader of people's souls. And so you can imagine how intimidated Annie is, but she begins to play, and as they give her her whole cards, the cards that are face down, she sees she's got a king 10. She's got good cards. And so she slowly begins to raise, and Helmuth thinks she's bluffing. She's, she's full of it. And so he'll call. She raised again. He'll call. She raised again. He'll call until finally she set the trap, and she goes all in, pushes all of her chips, and now Helmuth is beside himself. Is she bluffing, or does she have good cards? And so he finally thinks that she's bluffing. He puts in all his chips and get this. Annie Dukes won the $2 million prize. And here's the reason why. And I tell you all of that, not because I'm advocating gambling, but here's what I, my, my big message for us today. See, she went all in because here's what she knew. She knew she had better cards. And I want to tell you this. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have better cards. And I, I just want to challenge you to go all in with Jesus. Man, go all in. Don't be the halfway guy or the halfway girl. Do you know that, that halfway people, Jesus says in the book of Revelation, he says, I'll spit you out of my mouth uh, if you're lukewarm. That, that you know that, that if you're uh, the halfway guy or the halfway girl, you know, you're, you're a crappy sinner and you're a crappy Christian, right? If you're going to uh, go all in, man, go all in with God. You, you'll, it, it's, it's a better life. It's a better way. And it's a better uh, eternity. And so that's where we're headed today. We'll be in uh, Matthew chapter 22 verses 36 to 38. And, and in this, uh, a, a man, a Pharisee is going to ask uh, Jesus, hey, what's the greatest commandment? In other words, if you were to boil down all the scriptures and the Bible and the laws, Jesus boils it down to one thing. Matthew 22, verse 36 says this, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with, get this, all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And so, uh, man, this, this is what we're going to talk about today, going all in with Jesus. And since I'm a pastor, I have to have three points and they all start with the same letter. So here you go. We're going to talk uh, this morning about, man, is Jesus your priority? We're going to talk about the presence of God and your life being the praise of God. And so that's where we're going. And let's look at point number one is this, is, is priority. In other words, is Jesus first place in your life? And so uh, uh, back in the early 80s, man, I was I was rocking out with everybody else to uh, the, the rock band Van Halen, man. I had the, the mullet going and parachute pants, and it was amazing. But if you know anything about the group Van Halen, uh, not Sammy Hagar, the, 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 those aren't, that's not the real Van Halen. I'm talking about David Lee Roth, okay, that Van Halen. And, and Van Halen, if you know that, that David Lee Roth, he was not only a, a great musician, but he was also uh, a brilliant mind. And so what he did is, is he would write up uh, the contracts for the band because with all the pyrotechnics and whatnot, it could become quite dangerous if uh, the venue doesn't follow the, the safety and security protocols. And so he put uh, um, what they called the M&M clause right smack in the middle of the contract. And here was the M&M clause. It said this, that um, if there were any brown M&Ms in the green room backstage, uh, then the venue forfeited 
all uh, of the proceeds and the band got all the money. And so they, they knew that if there's any brown um, M&Ms in the, in the bowl in the green room, then here's what they knew. They didn't, the venue didn't read the contract. And so it might not be safe or secure. It, it was a tripwire clause. And, and you know, in a real way, that when I see people, they call themselves a Christian, yet, yet Jesus is an afterthought. Jesus gets their scraps and their leftovers. You know what? That's a tripwire for me. I'm like, ah, you're not a Christian and you think you are. And so uh, not, not to be hard on anybody, but do you know this? Like, like to give God your first and your best, that communicates something to God and to other people. And, and in the same way, to give God your scraps and your leftovers, that too communicates something to God and to other people. And so um, I want you to, man, go all in and give Jesus your best. Make him your priority. So um, I, I've made it no secret. I, I'm not the social media guy. I'm not really good at that stuff. My daughter's discipling me and teaching me about things. And so she was the one who taught me about LOL means laughing out loud or TTYL, man, uh, talk to you later. And and then the other one was a GFY, good for you, you know? And, uh, and so uh, anyways, I learned that. But I do know something, uh, like I'm a bit of a texter. And uh, here's what I know. I can tell something about our relationship about how you respond to my texts. And so, uh, man, if you s respond the same day, I know we have a relationship. Uh, there's mutual honor and respect. If it takes two days for you to, to get, get back to me, here's what I know. We, we don't have a relationship. We're, we're just acquaintances. But if you take three days or more, huh, I, I thought we were a little bit closer than that. And so I say that, I like, how do you respond to God? Are you a first day man response to God because you have a deep, rich relationship with him? Or is God just an add-on, uh, an acquaintance? And so, man, for God not to be first, the priority, then that means he's not God. Because as God, he demands the, to be first place and deserves to be first place in your life and in mine. In fact, do you know this, that the very first offering we see is between uh, Cain and Abel. And it says that Abel brought the first and the best. And God loved his sacrifice. But Cain, he just brought some of the produce of the land, right? The leftovers and the scraps. And God was not pleased with leftovers. Uh, do you know that we also read, do you know that Moses and the 12 tribes of Israel, as they're wandering in the wilderness, do you know when they would set up camp at night, what they would do is they would set the tabernacle. That's where the presence of God dwelt. And then they would put the 12 tribes, they would put three tribes in the north, three tribes in the south, three in the east, and three in the west. And all the tents would be facing the tabernacle. That when, when anybody got up first thing in the morning, the first thing they saw was the tabernacle, the presence of God. In other words, God was first, the first thing they saw. And so how do you handle your time? Like, is God the priority? Is he first place in your life? Or is that given over to Instagram, Facebook, your social media feeds, right? What is first in your time? And so like, like I've made Jesus a priority in how I set my calendar. So Jesus gets the first of my day. So my, the first hour of my morning, man, I commit that to prayer and to the word of God. Uh, do you know that the first week, man, I, I commit to, to going to church. I'm going to give God my first uh, of my week. Do you know the, the, the first of my month, I give him the first Friday of every month as a church, we gather together and pray. And even the first of our year, 
Do you know, uh, as we enter each and every new year that our church gets together and we have a week of prayer and fasting just to let Jesus know, God, we are honoring you uh, in 2023 and soon to be 2024, right? Um, and so how do you honor God with your time? You don't have to do what I do, but how are you demonstrating to God, God, you're first place in my time. You're my priority. Or how about this? Uh, is God the priority uh, in your finances? Um, like your treasure. Um, and so, you know, in poker, forgive me for all the card illustrations. Right, I just got back from Vegas. And so, uh, uh, but but poker, they have a thing called a tell. In other words, that that people can, uh, if you they have little idiosyncrasies or something that gives away the fact that you have a good hand or a bad hand, it's called a tell. And do you know that Jesus says that uh, if you want to know if God's truly the priority uh, in your life, the tell is how you handle your finances. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 12, verse 34. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Like, like how you handle your money, man, that determines where God fits in your, in your priority of your life. And so, man, when I pay my bills, the first thing I do is I have my tithe. 10% off the top goes to the Lord. And if you're like, well, pastor, what if I don't have enough? Well, here's what I'd say to you. You are honoring God and said, I don't care if Visa, MasterCard, don't get theirs. Jesus, you're getting yours. He's the priority of our life. It communicates something. But get this. Remember, this is not God trying to take from you. This is God letting you know, hey, as you go all in with me, you have better cards. You have better cards. And so uh, Malachi 3.10, he says, as you bring the tithe, here's what Jesus says. God says, I'll rip open the skies, the windows of heaven, and pour out such great blessing for you. There's not room enough to receive it that do you know it says in first samuel chapter 2 verse 30 that it says this as you honor me god says i'm going to honor you like if you make god first place in your time god says hey that's the person i'm going to honor that's a pretty good deal see you have better cards and so is jesus your priority number two is presence and and, and i'll just uh, add this that that uh, if there's no presence of god in your life then there's no power of god on your life no presence no power and so i'm totally ripping this off from pastor tony evans he was a, a great pastor communicator was the chaplain for the dallas cowboys and and so uh, he said he was telling this this illustration how he was he was streaking down the expressway uh, he was speeding right heavy foot on the gas pedal until he saw a cop murder onto the expressway and as the cop got in his presence it impacted the way he drive his foot went off the gas and now it began to tap the brake see what happened what with, with the presence uh, of the cop then what he had the ability to obey the law and as God's presence is in your life he will give you the ability uh, to obey the law see no presence though there's no power in fact, we see uh, in the scriptures, uh, I mean, there's a bad boy in your Old Testament by the name of Samson, and he had this great destiny and calling upon his life, but what did he do? He, he just started, he just loved what God could do for him, and he didn't love God. And so we see Samson time and time again using God. It's like I see a lot of people today, they, they just live just a crisis Christianity. Man, they just only reach out to God when they're in trouble, and this is Samson, until finally uh, Delilah tries to kill him two times, until finally the third time he gives away the secret uh, of his strength. Uh, and in so doing, um, we hear the most alarming verse, I believe, in all of the Bible. Judges chapter 16, verse 20, it says this, And Samson didn't know that the Lord had left him. 
Man, what a, what a terrifying verse that he presumed upon God. Hey, God, you just do what I say uh, and, and what he thought God would be there. And yet God gave him what he wanted. You don't want the presence of God, then you don't get the power of God uh, on your life. No presence, no power. And so Samson not only lost his strength, but he lost his two eyes. And so, man, I want to encourage you, man, do you know um, that, that as you reach out for the word of God, that, that you're reaching for the very presence of God, you're fighting for the presence of God on your life. And so um, I've shared this illustration before, but let's do it again for fun. So uh, I actually got to try out for uh, Team USA, the, the Olympic hockey team, and they actually split us up into four teams, north, south, east, and west. And one of the players on my team was a kid by the name of Todd Okerlund. Now, you might not know who Todd Okerlund is, but you better know who his dad is. His dad is Mean Gene Okerlund. He is the Hall of Fame uh, um, communicator for the World Wrestling Federation, right? He was Mean Gene Okerlund. And so I, mean, I got to meet Mean Gene. It was amazing. But, but as we talk about wrestling, by the way, that's when wrestling was real, not like the fake stuff today. <laughs> but isn't it funny how, how these World Wrestling Federation wrestlers have crossed over into celebrity? And so early on, we got Hulk and Hulkamania. He says this, Hulkamania is running wild, brother. You rip his shirt. And then we had John Cena. Man, John Cena, his big tagline was this, you can't see me. <laughs> and then and then my favorite of everyone is is Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Man, and Dwayne the Rock, he would say this, "Do you smell what the rock is cooking?" <laughs> and but but by by far now if you're a purist and you've followed wrestling for any length of time, you know uh, that Rick Flair AKA the nature boy, his big stick was this, that he would pander to the crowd and he would say something amazing and then he would go, woo, and the crowd would respond, woo, back and forth. And I say that to say this as we see a little bit of that in the Gospel of John. Like in John, like Jesus is performing miracle after miracle. We get in John chapter two, he changes water into wine. Woo! Right? And then in John chapter four that we get, we get Jesus, he heals a, a, a man's son with simply a word. Woo! And then we go on in John chapter five, uh, a man who's been crippled for 38 years, Jesus heals him. Woo! And then last but not least in John chapter six, Jesus, he feeds 5,000 with a few loaves and a few fish. Woo! Man, Jesus is just blowing and going. But, but here's the deal. Crowds begin to follow him, not because they want Jesus. They just want what Jesus can give to him. And so uh, what we see happen, Jesus is going to thin out the herd a little bit. And so Jesus says these very difficult words. Uh, he says, man, if, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And so I don't know about you, but there's been moments that, that man, I, I used God. Hey, I just, just do something for me. And then when God asks something difficult of me, I'm like, hey, no, thank you. Right. And so uh, but here's what we see happen with those hard words. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. It says this in John six. Verse 66, John 6, 6, 6. Uh, I don't think that's any coincidence. And it says this, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. What a terrifying verse. Man, it, do, if you ever wanted to have a do-over in your life, I bet you those people, man, they have an eternity of regret. Why would I ever abandon Jesus? And so uh, we see this. And, and then Jesus actually turns to Peter, who always gets it wrong, but this time he gets it right. Jesus goes, do you guys want to leave too? And Peter responds, where would we go? You have the words of life. And I want to let you know, man, man, the Bible, the scriptures, they are words 
of life. It says this of itself, that the Bible, the scriptures are living, alive, and active. And so um, there is a, a man in the Bible, his name was Enoch. And Enoch, it says this of him, that he walked with God. Here's what that means. It doesn't mean like they went on a walk, but it means I mean, he walked with him. In other words, in every moment, every waking second of his day, he was aware of the presence of God that was with him. He walked with him. He talked with him. He, he, he lived for him. And so, man, God and Enoch loved each other so much, it says that God just called them up to heaven. Like he never even died, man. And so, so here's what I, I, I want to share with you. Do you know the name Enoch? Enoch means dedicated. Like he was dedicated to the presence of God. Man, what do you Enoch in your life? What are you dedicated to? Is it to God, to Christ and his word? Do you know, uh, um, do you know it, here's a problem. If you can tell me the top 10 restaurants in northern New Jersey, but you can't tell me the 10 commandments, that's a problem. Um, if you've uh, read this morning your Instagram account and your Facebook book account, but you've never read the book of Ephesians, that's a problem, right? The word of God, it's, it's, it's the way you fight for the presence of God in your life. So I remember being a, a young man, I was, I was 16 years old, but I made this covenant and this commitment with, with God. I said, God, I'm going to read one chapter of your word every day for the rest of my life. Get this. I mean, I'm not an educated guy, but I can read one chapter. I'm extremely busy, but I can find time and make time for one chapter. And so uh, I love Dave Ramsey. He talks about compounding interest. And uh, Ramsey says this, that if, that if, if you will save and put aside $100 a month from the age of 25 to 65, do you know because of compounding interest, $100 a month, I think I spend that in Starbucks every month, like if just $100 a month, you will have accumulated $1.18 million dollars, right? It's, it's compounding interest. And as on a daily basis, you deposit the word of God in your life, it begins to build and to build and to build. And, and you will experience, man, a presence of God everywhere you go and whatever you do. And remember, man, this, this sacrifice of your time to get into the word, remember, it, it's not a sacrifice. It's just going all in because you have better cards. Because God says this, you get the presence of God in his presence is fullness of joy. Jesus says this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says that if you hear my words and you do them, it's like you're building your life on the firm foundation that though the storms of life may come, it will not move you. Like you storm proof your life by daily getting into the word of God, because if there's no presence, there's no power. And so we get priority presence. And then last but not least, let's talk about the praise of God. And I want you to know that your life is a living sacrifice, a praise, holy and acceptable unto God. And so Colossians 3.23, uh, it's historically been my, my life verse, my go-to verse. And it says, whatever you do, do it heartily as for the Lord and not as for men. In other words, man, whatever you do, do with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, but do it not for the sake of it, but as a praise unto God. And then did you get that? So here's what's so amazing. Like the most menial and insignificant tasks are not insignificant. Because why? Because you're doing it as unto the Lord. Everything takes significance and meaning moving forward in your life. Dr. Uh, Martin Luther King, he says it this way. He says, if a man is called a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Whatever you do, do it heartily as for the Lord and not as unto men. 
You know, I, I've said this before, but I don't think we ever outgrow the, hey, dad, watch this stage. In fact, like if you have little kids, you know what I'm talking about. I remember, man, when my daughters were young and we'd go to a pool or something, man, I couldn't read a book or do anything because my kids were nonstop. Hey, dad, watch this. Hey, dad, watch me jump into the deep end. Hey, dad, watch me hold my breath. And and, and I really don't think we outgrow that. And let me illustrate it this way is, uh, man, I heard the story of Dennis Wong. So Dennis uh, played in a, a Division III uh, a football school, and uh, his team actually did right quite well and, and went to the conference championship. And But Dennis was more of a, a bench player, like a practice squad player, didn't didn't get to play very much. And But before the, the night before the championship game, Dennis approached the head coach with, with this look of panic in his eyes, and he, he told the coach, he says, Coach, you got to let me start tomorrow. I have to play in this game. And coach is like, you know, Dennis is the championship, whatever. But he saw the the the, the zeal in Dennis's heart. And so he said, Dennis, let, let me sleep on it. And so the next day, coach says, hey, you're not going to be in the starting lineup, but you can be in the opening kickoff. And so uh, so Dennis gets in the opening kickoff. His team kicks off to the opposing team. Dennis goes streaking down the field and just blows up uh, the, the, the receiving team. The ball comes loose. Man, Dennis's team recovers in the red zone. They wind up scoring. And coach sees, man, Dennis is, is playing like a, like a man on fire. And so he keeps Dennis in the game and he plays this extraordinary game and Dennis's team winds up winning. But get this, after the game, everyone's celebrating but one man, uh, Dennis. He's in the corner of his locker and he's violently sobbing. And the coach sees this and the coach goes over to him and he asks, Dennis, what's wrong? You just played the greatest game I've ever seen. And Dennis says, uh, he says, coach, he says, you, you know my dad. He goes, yeah. He goes, your dad used to always come and listen to practice. See, Dennis's father was blind. He says, Coach, my, my dad passed earlier this week. He says, this was the first time my dad ever got to see me play football. And, and listen, I don't know if that story is true or not, uh, but here's what I do know. Man, your heavenly father is watching you in everything you do. And you should everything you do should want to be, hey, dad, watch this, because your life is a praise unto God. You know, here's what's so crazy. Do you know that the word for work and worship in the Hebrew language, it's the same word, work and worship. It's the word avodah. See, with God, there's no distinction between doing work and worshiping God. And so your work is worship. So uh, do you know, in fact, do you know that the first person we see that's filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, do you know who that is? It was a construction worker. It was a guy by the name of Basilel. He, he, was, he was tasked with building the tabernacle of God. So every time he struck a nail, it was a praise unto God. That every time he cut uh, a piece of wood in just the right spot, it become a praise and a worship unto God. Because your work is worship. In fact, I'll, I'll end with this illustration. I've been, I've been reading a book on the life of Beethoven, and man, he had a very difficult childhood. His dad was, was quite hard on him and abusive, but, but the one way that, that, that uh, Beethoven, he found worth in his daddy's eyes was if he would compose music, and so this, this really caused him to excel, and, and so we know he became this famous composer, but did you know that late in Beethoven's life, he lost his hearing? And so you can imagine, man, if, if he loses his hearing, now he's lost his identity because he can't compose music. Who am I? And so he actually began to uh, grow in this deep depression and, and chose a life of seclusion because he didn't want anybody to know that he had gone deaf. But 
uh, he, he had suicidal ideations, but there came a moment that in his soul bubbled up in him this understanding that he was still pregnant with music. Like there was something he had to get out to the world. And so he began to compose again. And we get Beethoven's final symphony. If you can envision this with me, man, a packed uh, house as everyone's come to he- see the great composer's final symphony. And as the orchestra begins to play, Beethoven wanted to comp- uh, actually be the conductor during it, but he can't hear. So he has another conductor beside him actually conducting the orchestra, but, but Beethoven is still thundering away. And if you envision with me him going and, th- and, and just kind of feeling the music, if you will, and then finally the symphony ends and, and Beethoven puts his arms down and it, with his back to the crowd, he can't hear anything because he's deaf. But the conductor, he taps him on the shoulder and he turns Beethoven around and there's this thunderous applause by everyone. They had been applauding, but he couldn't hear the thunderous applause. And I say that to say this, do you know that, that many of you, you might not be able to hear it, but there is the thunder, thunderous applause of heaven as you live your life as a living sacrifice unto God. In fact, we see it in Acts chapter 7. The, the church's first martyr was that of a man by the name of Stephen. And it says, Stephen, as he's being stoned to death, he sees the heavens rip open. And he says, I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. And if you know anything about your scriptures, Jesus is always seated at the right hand of the Father, but not this moment, as he sees Stephen's life poured out as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable of God. It's as if Jesus, uh, man, the Son of God, stands up beside the Father and the thunderous applause of our Lord Jesus Christ, saying, "That's that's my son, that's my child, man. And so you and I, whatever we do, we do it as a praise unto God. And so just remember, man, is God your priority? Are you fighting daily for the presence of God? And do you live your life as a praise unto him? Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for this time that we can gather together as your people. And Lord, I know you've heard my prayer. Lord, that we would be an all-in people. God, that we would push all our chips of our life in with you. And thank you, Lord, may there be this holy confidence that grows within your people that we have better cards. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, every nation. Well, listen, uh, the sermon's over with, but we're not quite finished. Is I would like to remind you that you can be faithful in your tithing uh, and your giving here. And so remember, we just said that, man, we want to make God the priority uh, in our finances. And the way we do that is through the tithe, giving him the first tenth of everything uh, that comes into us. And so there's three ways you can give digitally. You can go to our website, encnj.org, and just hit the giving icon. Uh, or you can give via text. This is how my family and I give. If you text the letters ENCNJ, to the number 77977. It's a very convenient way to give. Or you can mail in your check or money order right here to our church offices at 101 Gibraltar Drive right here in Morris Plains, New Jersey. And may God richly bless you as you honor him and your tithing uh, and your giving. Listen, every nation, Jesus loves you. And I think you're pretty great too. Have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to the Every Nation New Jersey podcast. For more information on our church, or if you'd like to give a financial gift, just go to our website, emcnj.org.